A little later than normal, but still greatly looking forward to our conversation. Playing Politics is partnership with the Star Tribune editorial board and WCCR Radio. Chad Hartman here along with uh, Jill Burkham and John Rash from the Star Tribune. Jill, pleasure to have you on. Jill, let's start with COVID. I just had on uh, Michael Osterholm uh, an hour ago on the latest. You write powerfully and importantly about COVID, what is taking place in our state, what is taking place in uh, this country. When you look at where we are now today, Jill, from last Thanksgiving, with the availability of the vaccines, with the antibodies, with the boosters, and you think that more people have died this year than died in 2020. What stands out most to you? So when you were um, discussing and uh, venting your frustrations after your conversation with Mike Osterholm, I also I almost called in because I share them. Thank you. Um, yes, uh, it's it's. It's so troubling. Um, you know, there's this concept of preventing needless deaths, and yeah. that's what they are yes. with the vaccinations widely available. And then, you know, the, the action steadily taken by the FDA and CDC to open up the vaccinations or boosters, you know, to almost everybody at this point. I think it's just mm. the zero, it's ages zero to five who haven't been cleared, and, and that's coming. So it's in some ways it's more disheartening um, than where we were last year, where you know the vaccines weren't cleared yet, we didn't have therapeutics, we were just on the verge of the real severe winter surge that we saw last year. Um, so I, you know I, I share the frustration um, that we could be in so much of a better spot, um, but yet we aren't there. And um, you know I, I think. I lay the blame on, you know, the disinformation that is circulating out there that downplays COVID, that downplays its risk and spreads disinformation about the vaccine. And so often some of these critics contend that, you know, they're just all for informed consent. And in reality, the distortions that they spread lead to misinformed refusal of the vaccine. So it's it's just a Again, a really frustrating place to be um, coming up on 2022. Very well stated. John, pick up that, including part of what I was saying in the segment that Jill listened to. We have some polling out where right around three and four of those who were polled in this survey say life's back to normal. And who doesn't want a life back to normal where we don't have restrictions, we don't have concerns. Every single one of them, every single one of us should want that. But then we have to deal with the reality that we have had more people die this year, that the positivity rate in Minnesota is at 11%, which has been as high as any state off and on for three weeks, that we have hospitalization issues, that we have concern about uh, top medical personnel who may not stay, that we now have uh, schools going back to distant learning. And this idea that, that, as Jill said, we're promoting disinformation as opposed to just disseminating important information. And because there is such a trust problem in our society that we've just decided, nope, we're not going to believe it. We're not going to believe your propaganda. And we think it's normal when sadly and factually we are nowhere near back to normal. Well, indeed, the miraculous vaccines that came 
near the beginning of the year are against the virus, not the virulent politics that are ripping this country apart. And it's one thing when it comes to the Supreme Court or other legislative issues that Congress is considering. It's another thing when it's literally a life or death situation as COVID-19 has been. And there are so many people in this country right now who have very differing political opinions and that came along with the technological transformations of unlimited internet uh, you know, outlets and cable channels and ways to seal yourself off away from the information that can help save your life and sometimes toward the disinformation that can take it. And so what we have is anything far from normal, not just in terms of COVID, but in terms of how our community and our society is working at this point. So here we have, as you mentioned so poignantly, a year since last Thanksgiving, we've had these tremendous medical advances. Yes, and absolutely. And in some degrees, yeah, the situation is worse. And um, so that's anything from normal in a normal society. And so, you know, one can only hope that somehow the message gets through. My fear, however, as we're seeing in Europe with these um, extraordinary protests against mm-hmm. COVID protocols yep. that there's a chance that it actually turns more violent here in this nation as it has over in multiple capitals across the continent. Jill Burkham is with us. So is John Rash from the Star Tribune editorial board. It's 214. Jill, because this is such an area of expertise for you, in particular here in Minnesota, what is a part of the COVID story that you are covering that you are paying attention to that maybe isn't getting enough attention, whether it's on the positive side or on the concerning side related to COVID-19? Oh, so that's a great question. Um, Lots of targets to pick from, but I have to say that um, from the very get-go in February 5th, February 5th, 2020, I wrote an editorial um, sounding the alarm about the lack of testing um, to to um, you know you know find and and prevent COVID spread and, and track it. This has been an Achilles heel throughout the pandemic. Um, and just today, I was looking to see if I could find a, a Binax rapid test. Um, I located one, but um, it took me a while to get it. Um, and I want to make sure that when I go to Thanksgiving tomorrow, I don't have COVID. Sure. But this is this is even more of a concern. Um, as as we develop therapeutics um, and and the FDA and CDC are poised to approve some fantastic new ones from both Merck and Pfizer. But the reality is, is you not only have to accept that you might have COVID, but you have to test, you're you're probably going to want to test yourself or get a test quickly so that you can take these therapeutics within the timeframe where they can actually do the most good. Um, and without testing, without especially the rapid test availability, because you you um, that that can be hard to find. I'm I'm really worried that we we might um, not be able to really take full advantage of some of the the new therapeutics, you know, the medications that are coming online that you could take after you get COVID. So and, that's that's one thing yeah. that I really think bears watching as we go forward. John, I think that's a really good point. I want to pick up on that because at this point. 
And and I don't want to slight in any way the remarkable work, which, by the way, happened under President Trump and President Biden. This shouldn't be political in this part of it with Operation Warp Speed and the vaccines. But twofold, 100 percent. I hear people all the time who want more access to rapid tests. They don't have it. And then you think about the antibodies and how, let's say, in the metro area. I had a couple. I mentioned this the other day. Good friends of mine. Both had COVID fairly serious in one of the antibodies. And, John, they had to drive hours and hours out of the metro area to get the antibodies. When we talk about these therapeutics, this isn't exactly a small city, Minneapolis-St. Paul. And this is an area of access. And a lot of it, you're reporting in the trip yesterday, said it's not just you don't have the medicine itself. You don't have the doctors and nurses who are trained to deliver that. This is an area in those two points where we should be further along. Indeed, I agree, and it really is a shame and really is a life-or-death situation that some of these advancements cannot advance all the way into the bodies of the people who are afflicted at this point. And I think you bring up another point that has been profound in terms of the complexity of the medical system in this country and how so many ways it's been heroic and in so many ways It's incredibly challenged right now, including individuals who are willing to work in it or, you know, who are dropping out of it for understandable reasons of exhaustion and tragically at times harassment from people in uh, who have COVID or still don't believe in the disease or the treatments that are available out there. And so it seems that very similar to the supply chain that so many people keep talking about, there are so many ways for it to break down. And I think that that's one of the more remarkable dynamics of this year that we've come to realize. And there's not an immediate turnaround as well as all the colleges and universities are training medical personnel. And as as much as there are so many willing young people willing to do what truly is a heroic service to society, this problem isn't going to solve itself overnight. And that's really a challenge because the problem is here right now. Let's pause right here. It's 18 past two. We'll come back with Jill Burkham and John Rash as we continue with Playing Politics with the Star Tribune editorial board on WCCO. We continue with uh, Jill Burkham and John Rash from the Star Tribune. Now, Jeremy Miller made news, not just here, uh, but he was on with uh, Bloy Solson. He was also on uh, NPR. This is the Senate majority leader saying when we're talking about still fining the path and who gets how much for the $250 million to frontline workers. And part of the debate has been, John, who qualifies as those frontline workers. The concern also was, well, that if a special session takes place, that the Republicans, as they've done a couple times before, would vote out another one of the commissioners for Governor Walls. And this time it would be the biggest name of all, Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm. When... Miller was on with Boyce Olson. He said, we're willing to put those discussions off to the side for now. The discussions of potentially firing Jan Malcolm. When Governor Walls was asked about it, he's like, okay, that sounds good, but I need more details. Are they actually going to have a special session to get this money out? And then let me just be blunt. How shameful is this that we've had this money? The, the state has had this money for this long, and we can't. Get this money out to people who deserve it. It's very shameful, and it's indicative of 
the gridlock at the legislature. And if anything should have been able to get people over the hump, it should be the heroic work of the frontline workers. Unfortunately, that didn't even do it. But credit to the new Senate leader on the Republican side, Jeremy Miller, um, and him willing to put this aside. And I have no doubt that that was done at the consternation of some colleagues who really wanted oh, yeah. to get rid of Jan Malcolm more than anything because of the work that we and so many other health professionals have lauded regarding her aggressive efforts to keep us from the worst of the COVID outbreak as the first and second and eventually you know, other waves went through here. It's certainly a challenging time now, but Jill wrote very, very well on behalf of the board about this and about the inappropriate nature of um, of firing Jan Malcolm, something that I think all of us agree with uh, in terms of that perspective. So hopefully they can distribute this money and be able to move forward in a constructive manner as they get towards the regular session at the turn of the year. And, and Jill, when some of these ideas have talked about, well, potentially more, maybe even double for those folks on the health side and then others who also can be viewed as frontline workers, fine. Okay, I, 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 I can accept any of these. To be sitting on that money for that long is indefensible. Now, as someone who has to look at this with a critical eye, and it's, it's very challenging near a pandemic, do critics have any particular points on Jan Malcolm to the level of she should be removed from her position for policy positions that either she has created or she is followed from Governor Walz? You know, I, I think that you really need to check in with the folks who have shouldered the biggest responsibilities during the pandemic and have worked most closely uh, with Commissioner Malcolm. And those are the state's hospitals, the doctors, the long-term care providers. And as John mentioned, I wrote an editorial where I, I checked in with them because when I called the Senate GOP, it doesn't sound like they had, had done that. And I got back statements of resounding support for Commissioner Malcolm from the Minnesota Hospital Association, from the Minnesota Medical Association, which represents about 12,000 doctors and, and residents um, across the state and students, and also from the long-term care providers. So I don't think that there is you know, a huge constituency that is demanding this. Um, so I, I really don't understand why there is a priority. And I'm also very concerned um, about who we would get to fill in behind her. Um, there, I don't think that there's probably a, want, a lot of people who are gonna want these jobs after you know, there's a pattern of firing folks. Um, and this is a very difficult position. It's often a thankless task. So, and she's, she also has the support of her staff uh, in public health. So I, I really question the wisdom of making this a priority. And you know, I agree with John, um, you know, kudos to Jeremy Miller for saying that he's willing to table this you know, for now. Um, it looks to me like the real sticking point is going to be, you know, will walls weaken or even, you know, get rid of the state level vaccine mandates. Right now, I think the biggest group is probably state employees. Um, right. And it's, it's, you know, 
I, I guess here we are in the midst of a serious surge with our hospitals needing help from the Minnesota National Guard and the Department of Defense. And we want to roll back one of the only things we're doing from a public policy standpoint to combat COVID. Um, and the other thing is that data from around the nation suggests it's a very small percentage of the workforce that is, is protesting the COVID vaccine mandates. So we have heard from, you know, some state workers who don't want to get the vaccine or the testing um, and they don't want to do their part. And because of that, now there's apparently a holdup, another holdup that's going to prevent our frontline workers from get a, getting bonus pay to make their lives a little bit easier after two years of sacrifice and hardship. It's just a really lousy place to be right now. And this is the reason that people are, you know, fed up with politics. Well stated by both of you. Thank you so much. Have a very happy Thanksgiving, and we'll uh, talk with you next week. You too, Chad. Thank you. Thanks to John and thanks to Jill for playing politics. You can check out the podcast. We'll have it up. The Star Tribune will have it up also. 29 past two. Adam's going to join us. We'll give you an update on the Everson Griffin situation. We spent a lot of time talking about that in the first hour for all the valid reasons We'll certainly talk about that and then finish the show with some lighter items. So stick around. It's 29 past 2 on CCO.